The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. It's time to blow the trumpet in Zion. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel with Pastor Ray Greenlee. Today's sermon is pre-recorded. Remember Lot's wife. Let's pray. Spirit of the living God, I cannot speak this message without the power of your Holy Spirit. For, Lord, only your Holy Spirit searches the heart of each person. Only your Holy Spirit intercedes for us and cuts down between the bone and the marrow. Lord, I ask that today you do a sovereign work in this place. Thank you, mighty God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. I'm going to begin in the book of John, the 8th chapter. I'd like you to follow with me. I'm going to use several scriptures today. And I ask you to let the Holy Spirit search your heart. John, the 8th chapter, verse 34. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. In other words, when you come into the family of God, you are brought into freedom. But if you continue to be rebellious against Almighty God and you continue to sin against Him, you will not be a permanent member of the family. Now, I recognize that cuts across almost all of the sweet and easy grace we hear preached in America today. And I challenge any of you to go to a county courthouse and sit in those courtrooms and watch as person after person comes before the bar of justice and is sent into the slammer. And you say, why? How is this possible that person after person, young and old alike brought before the judgment bar in American courts and sentenced. We have more people in jail in America than I think in almost any other country in the world. The court systems are overflowing. How is that possible? I'll tell you how it's possible. Because men and women have stood before the people of God and said, You don't need to worry. You're in. You're saved. You're safe. You don't have to live a holy life. You can walk in the world, and you can claim to follow Jesus, and everything's covered. And so they walk without fear into their sin. There's no fear of God. 
And so we come today into the presence of God. We come casually strolling in. No fear of God. No concern. And Jesus is saying, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. In other words, Jesus is willing to set us free of all sin. Every addiction, every bondage, every past history that would be passed down to us can be broken by the power of Jesus. If we're going to be concerned about this, we have to be very much aware that if that work is not done, we will be considered as slaves in the family and sold. And the buyer will be Satan. Now listen, verse 37, I know you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are ready to kill me because you have no room for my word. So he's saying the reason even though you are Abraham's descendants and you are a part of the family of God, the reason you are unwilling to hear what I'm speaking to you is because you have no room in your heart. In other words, your heart is full of everything else. And so before I begin this message today, I have to ask you the question, what is your heart full of as you come into the presence of God today? Do you have enough room in your heart to receive the Word of God? Or is it full of the television? Is it full of the radio? Is it full of the music? Is it full of your schedule? Is it full of your business deals? Is your heart so full that there is no room in it to receive the Word of God? And part of what causes me such agony is coming week after week, month after month, year after year, preaching before God's people, preaching it straight, unvarnished. And there's no change. No total sanctification. No being simply sold out. Because as soon as the service is over, I know what we want to do. We want to talk about our, our dinner plans, and we want to chit-chat, and we want to get into all the casual stuff, and the cell phone starts to ring, and we're out of here, and we're in a roll, and the rat race goes on. No nights of prayer, no searching after Jesus, no hungering after the Word. I ask some of you, how have you been in the Word this week? Well, Pastor, I just haven't had time haven't had time. No room in your heart for the Word of God. You're too busy with the things of the world to read the Word of God? Now let's look at the Word God has given me to share with you today. Remember Lot's wife. We find the story in the 19th chapter of the book of Genesis. It's an evening like every other evening. There's nothing to designate it as being any different. The weather is as it always is. The activities of Sodom and Gomorrah as are, they always are. Two angels show up at the front gates of Sodom and Gomorrah, but they're not recognized as angels. They're dressed as men in the cultural garb of the day. They look like normal people. They arrive at the city gate 
and they are met at the city gate by Lot, the man of God. Now, please understand, in ancient times, the city gate is where the respected elders of the community gather. For Lot to be permitted to sit in the city gate meant that he had to have the respect of the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. In other words, he had to be tolerant toward their wicked and evil behavior. Now, there's a second thing we need to know. The city gate was the place where new contracts were formed. The city gate was the place where visitors would enter in and those who were in prominent position in the city gate would be able to offer them their business opportunities for trade and sales. And so it was for Lot's financial advantage to sit at the city gate and there to greet these two visitors because perhaps they were business contacts. He had beef for sale. He had camels available. He had donkeys. I mean, here you've got the used car salesman. You've got housing available in the city. So you have Mr. Real Estate Man. You have Mr. Lot. And Lot, as we look Thursday night in the scripture, is always the person who is looking for the business advantage. Everything is seen through the eyes of, how can this prosper me? How can I turn a profit? How can I be involved in such a way that I can turn this to my advantage? You recognize that this is American entrepreneurialism. I was trained as a pastor to take the finest church I could negotiate for, to, to negotiate with that church for the finest package on salary and benefits, and then to play my chips very carefully with the congregation so that they would love me and do things that would increase the congregation and praise God he has not done that with this church. He's blessed us down. You always know God is in a church when it starts getting blessed down. We're not about bricks and bodies and bucks. We're about righteousness and holiness and going to heaven together. So here's Mr. Lot, always thinking about how he can gain the advantage, how he can turn this to his best end, how he can come out looking good. And two angels show up. And he invites them to come to his home. And they finally consent. And then we have all of the men of the area gathering together around his home and demanding that he bring these two men out, that as the scripture says, he might, they might know them. And Lot enters into this discussion with him, even offering to sacrifice his two daughters who are pledged to be married. I read every Bible commentary I could find on this issue. And every Bible commentary across the board said this must have been an aberration in his mind. They don't understand how he could possibly have, have offered this horrible offer. Well, I know how. It was about Mr. Lot and what was best for him.
not what was best for a godly family. You see, you don't go camp out at Sodom and Gomorrah in order to raise a godly family. You go to Sodom and Gomorrah because you think that's the place you can gain the advantage. Where was Abraham? Abraham wasn't parked here in Sodom and Gomorrah. He was under the oaks of, of Mamre. He was, he was over here building altars before God and saying, God, what do you want to do here? God, what are you going to do with Sodom and Gomorrah? Oh, God, will you please, if, if we find ten righteous in this city, will you save it? He was on his face, and while he was on his face, he was getting rich. He didn't care about getting rich. God could trust him with money because he knew he would use the money to build up a godly family. Lot, he wanted to get rich, and he tried to use God's blessing to get that wealth, but his heart was exposed. He had no heart for a godly family. All he had a heart for was the business deal. Yeah. Here's Lot with his home surrounded, and he finds out how good his friends are. They say, who made you judge among us? It's obvious he's never been judged before. And this is strange behavior, and now they're reacting to him and saying, well, if you're going to judge us this way, you're not going to be sitting at our city gate. Whoa, that's a change. Some of you have been playing for advantage in your workplace, and you're afraid to talk about Jesus, and you're afraid to lift up a banner of righteousness in that place because you might not sit at the city gate. So the scriptures say these two angels struck them with blindness. But the Hebrew word is not for ocular blindness. In other words, the angels didn't strike them in their eyes with physical blindness. The word in the Hebrew means struck them senseless. In other words, suddenly their minds were gone. He only brought to bear upon them what was already a fact. They were already morally insane. And now he simply finished the work. And so now they're wandering around like madmen trying to find the door and they don't even know who they are. Are you morally insane? Moral insanity simply means you have sacrificed what is right and what is holy for opportunity. That you have no, nothing that is absolute. What is absolute is me, my deal. That's moral insanity. I want you to look at Genesis, the 19th chapter, verse 12. The two men said to Lot, do you have anyone else here? Sons-in-law, sons or daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? The angels already knew this. They wanted Lot to say. They wanted to expose his heart fully. Now, I want you to understand this. God loves you. He loves you so much that he's exposing everything in your heart. If I were running outside and fell down and wounded my knee, 
got all kinds of dirt and grit in it. And I went to the emergency room. What would they do with that knee? Would they say, oh, Ray, that, that knee looks terrible. Let's, let's just put a bandage around it. No, they wouldn't do that. They'd say, let's scrub the dirt out of it. I'd say, no, that would hurt. Just put a bandage around it. Put some salve on it. They'd say, no. Infection will spring up in that knee if you don't have that dirt washed out of it. And they'd take a brush and they'd scrub that wound. Some of you want to come here and hear some nice sweet word that says, oh, you're loved, everything's okay. No, God wants to scrub out that wound. He wants to get all the way to the bottom of that deal. He doesn't want the infection of sin growing up in your life and ruining your life. That would mean amputation. That would mean being cut off from God. Now watch. Get them out of here because we are going to destroy this place the outcry to the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. And if we were to look in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel tells us that the number one sin, the number one sin was a luxurious, gluttonous lifestyle. The first and foremost sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was not sexual perversion. It was a gluttonous, selfish lifestyle. It was not caring about others. It was arrogance and hardness of heart. It was bitterness of spirit. That's what Ezekiel tells us. The very last sin listed by God in Ezekiel is the sin of perversion. I want to tell you that all of those other sins lead to God giving people over to perversion. And God is right now in the process of giving his church in Washington, D.C. over to perversion. So that there are churches now you can go into. You hear the world's music, the same music that I used to hear when I went down to the dance halls in Adams Morgan. It's the same sound, it's the same decibel sound, it's the same music, except now they've got these sweet sentimental words tied on, as though that somehow baptizes it. And the preacher's going to stand in the pulpit and he's going to pour out this mushy, sentimental yuck about how God loves you and you can walk and you're saved. He's not going to, he's not going to rebuke you, he's not going to challenge you. He's going to teach you some strategic steps for more successful living, how you can get more money, how you can be a better citizen of Sodom and Gomorrah. That is the judgment of God. That is already the great delusion of revelation being poured out upon God's church. What you saw happen up in Toronto, Canada, as a great move of the Spirit took place in Toronto. 
And people were falling down on the floor and, and all kinds of signs and wonders were taking place. That wasn't the spirit of God. That was the spirit of demons. That was the delusion God is pouring out on God's people because all they want is love and permissiveness and sin and not righteousness. I went to that place. I experienced what was happening there. And the spirit of God came through another pastor and said to me, there is no blessing of God for you in this place, Pastor. Get out. Because all people wanted to do was line up and lay on the floor and bask in the presence of God and laugh and bark like dogs. We watched all kinds of manifestations, and it was abundantly clear it was not the Spirit of God that was present. There was no crying or weeping there was no reconciling between brothers and sisters. There was no breaking of bondages. None of the signs of God's Spirit were present. I'm telling you this because you can expect to see more of this pouring out across North America. And we'll say, oh, that must be a great testimony of God. I won't believe it's a revival until the jails are empty. And the courtrooms are silent because there's no longer any wickedness going on. The police chief will be able to tell me if there's a revival going on. Come on, Pastor. Come on. If the police chief doesn't report that all kinds of stolen things are being restored. Oh, Jesus. If the chief of police doesn't report that they don't have room to contain all that's being returned. There's no revival. Revival comes. Weeping comes. Weeping for our sins. Reconciling with our brothers and our sisters. Humbling ourselves before one another. Preferring one another ahead of ourselves. Not the foolish delusion we see in the body of Christ today. Verse 14, so Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who were pledged to marry his daughters. He said, hurry, get out of this place because the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. That word joking in the Hebrew, the King James Version says mocking. But the word literally means to make sport of. To make sport of. So here is Lot with his prospective sons-in-law, and he's telling them this message from God. And they think he's joking. It's obvious he's never given them a message from God before. It's obvious Lot has never heard from God before. There is not one place in the scriptures that tell us that Lot heard from God, except when the two angels came into his house and said, we're going to destroy this place. Why? There is also no record of Lot ever building an altar to God. It was always he worshipped at Abraham's altar. 
And so have you come to this place to worship at the altar that Jan and I have built and that some of you all have built? Or have you built your own altars? Are you getting a second-hand word from God? Or is God speaking into your life? And are you providing an opportunity for your family, for your children, for your husband, for your wife, to hear that direct word of God so that when the final word comes and you say, flee, they won't think you're joking, making sport of you? Are you totally sold out to Jesus Christ? Or are you a halfway lot follower? Have you crossed the line and made the decision that you will allow Jesus Christ to have total authority over your life, that you no longer have time or money, you no longer have possessions, you no longer have any heart attachments to anything or anyone save Jesus Christ and Him crucified? Are you walking in cheap grace, saying, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, but, hey, I've got all these other concerns too. I'm a Republican, right? I'm a Democrat, right? That's my party affiliation. Well, my party affiliation is also that I'm a member of the health club. No, and I'm a member of this, and I'm a member of that. And, and by the way, and I'm also a member of the body of Christ. No, I don't think so. It doesn't work that way. When you sign up with Jesus Christ, every other affiliation is broken. If it's not, you're following in the footsteps of Lot. You're an opportunist. Looking for how you can gain advantage by being a part of the body of Christ. After all, it's not a bad deal. If I follow Jesus, and I have my own life, and I follow Jesus, and it proves that all of this was false, I will have at least had a wonderful life. I mean, what's to lose? It's a win-win, and that's what the world believes in, win-wins. And so I follow Jesus. It proves that it was false at the end. It doesn't matter because I had a wonderful life. If, on the other hand, it proves that Jesus was true, I get to go to heaven. So I've had the world, and I've had all my fun, and I get Jesus too, and I'm in like Flint because Jesus loves me. The Lord will look at you and say, Depart from me, I don't even know you. You worker of iniquity. I have said to some, What a miserable life. To no longer follow my vision, to no longer follow my dreams, to no longer follow my desires, to turn aside totally for Jesus Christ. And then if I find that he's false, I above all men will be most miserable. But he has demonstrated in my life that he is not false. And I will turn aside from everything to follow Jesus Christ. The angels tell Lot and his wife and his daughters, you must leave this place now. Why would God choose to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? 
surely there were equally wicked cities throughout all of the ancient world. I can think of only one reason why he would pick on Sodom and Gomorrah, because one of his children lived in that city. And it's the only thing he could do to get him out of it. It was to destroy it. I want you to see to what lengths God is willing to do to get your attention. He'll destroy everything around you. He will rip up everything if it takes that to get your attention. And Lot, he chose the cities in the plain for financial advantage. And now he is being told that he has to leave behind all of his furniture that was imported from Ur of the Chaldees. He has to give up his couches inlaid with ivory from Egypt. He has to walk out without packing any suitcases, and that means those royal robes that he's so proud of. He has to leave behind. He's being drug out, and that means that all of his herds and his herdsmen are getting left behind. You remember why he left Abraham? Because his herds were so large, they were fighting with Abraham's herdsmen. So he left Abraham because he had so much money to go to Sodom so he could make more money. So now God is saying, walk out and leave it all or die. I want to tell you, these things are rehearsals pointing forward to what God is now doing in our day. And he's saying, will you walk out and leave behind you all of those opportunities? Will you trust in the living God of heaven and stop trying to twist and pervert the ways of your life for your advantage? Will you walk out? Will you leave it? I spoke with one man about his television. He had just purchased a beautiful system. Surround sound. I mean, one room dedicated to this masterpiece. The huge screen. I mean, I mean, this was an expensive outfit. Hundreds of DVDs. Hundreds of DVDs. A new Christian, a part of this congregation. I said to him, you will not be in the congregation very long if you keep this room. Because what will go on in this room will take your heart. So you'll need to walk out of this and get rid of it. He said, oh, it's so expensive. He said, Pastor, I'll tell you what, I just won't use it. It was but a couple of weeks and into football season. And he said, I found a new church where they'll let me keep my television. When you walk out of Sodom and Gomorrah, you walk out without anything. You walk out without a thing. 
there's one encouragement I have for you. Verse 15, with the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you'll be swept away when the city is punished. When he hesitated, that word hesitated in the Hebrew, a key part of it is when he reasoned, when he reasoned, when he tried to think his way through it. He hesitated because his mind was busy. He was scheming on what he could take and how he could take it. And did he have time to load the donkeys? Did he have time to get camels? The men or the angels grasp his hand and the hands of his wife and his two daughters and led them safely out of the city. That doesn't adequately explain it. In the Hebrew, it says they drug them out of the city. Now, I offer that to you as encouragement because the Lord God in his great mercy will see that there are some things you can't just walk away from, but if you'll let him take your hand, he'll drag you out of there. Jesus! I mean, some of you need to pray the prayer that some of our brothers have prayed. Oh, God, stop me in my tracks, and he'll stop you. He may take your car to do it. He may burn your house to do it. Do you understand God's looking at this from a different perspective than we're looking at it? We're saying, how can I get through this thing to heaven and have all my stuff intact? How can I get to heaven and have all my relationships, everybody loving me? How can I get to heaven and have applause for my greatness? And Jesus is saying, well, you're coming out, and you're not coming out with anything. You're not coming out with people smiling and saying what a nice person you are. You're not coming out of this with all your stuff intact. You're not coming out of this with your dreams and your visions and your goals and your hungers all being satisfied. You're coming out hungry or you're not coming out. Now, you understand that while Lot is being grabbed by the angels and forcibly dragged out of this place, there are business meetings going on in Sodom over breakfast. There are building projects going on in the city where men are signing contracts for building new houses. There are wives thinking and planning on how to get that couch out of Egypt. And how are they going to finance this addition on the house? There are other people waking up hungover, saying, where do I get my next fix? There are men and women waking up together who are not married. They've been playing around. The husbands and wives fighting. Bitter accusations. I mean, everything's going on there that, wa- that goes on in Washington, D.C. So while all of this is going on, in one part of the city, had they been watching, they would have seen angels forcibly dragging from the city a family. And Lot is saying, oh, I'm so terrified. Oh, don't send me all the way to the mountain. I'll never make it. Let me go over to this little town. Boy, he was a city slick. All he cared about was where he could start over. Okay, God, you'll wipe out Sodom and Gomorrah. Where's my next opportunity? My next opportunity is in Zor. Okay, let's go, angel. Let's go to Zor. I can start my businesses all over again. You understand? You leave a sin, 
God destroys the sin. You come out of it. And then five minutes later, like a rope tied around your neck, the devil's dragging you right back into the same sin. That's called bondage. And that bondage is only broken by the blood of Jesus Christ. You don't have any strategies for self-help that will break those kinds of bondages. Those bondages will take you to hell if they are not broken by the blood of Jesus Christ. So here they go. Out of the city. It's daybreak. The sun is coming up. They're being dragged away. They have told them, don't look back. And Lot's wife turns around to take one last longing look at what she loves and turns into a pillar of salt. What have you been looking back to? Going back and playing in it. Just because you're not turned into a pillar of salt now, don't think that God's mercy is permission. The lack of judgment is God's mercy, not permissiveness. The judgment will come. We have become so accustomed to the mercy of God the absence of his judgment that we think he will never judge us because he's been silent so long. But God doesn't forget anything. He has a book of remembrance. I watched in this courtroom as the attorney stood up and went through all of the problems of his client but he, of course, omitted the most recent problem, hoping that the judge would miss it. And immediately the judge said, but what about this offense? Mm -hmm. He just lost the case because he stood before the judge and thought he could play games, and his client went to jail. I sat there shaking my head, saying, Lord, would you be my attorney and not my judge? Would you be my attorney, not my judge, because you won't forget one thing? Verse 26, but Lot's wife looked back. Was she looking back at her couch? Was she looking back at her neighbor's? Was she looking back at her lifestyle? I don't know what she looked back at. But God's judgment fell on her. God brought Lot out of this catastrophic overthrowing of the city. And Lot and his two daughters go to Zor, and they're settled there, but he's afraid. He now has seen God's judgment. But when he sees God's judgment, he runs the wrong direction. He does not run to Father Abraham. 
He doesn't recognize that at Abraham there is an altar and that at that altar God speaks. Instead, after these 15 years of dwelling in Sodom and Gomorrah, he thinks he's on his own. And so he runs to the mountains and lives in a cave when he could have lived in a palace. Abraham had over a thousand people in his organization, in his family. He had a tense city. Believe me, he had plush wealth. But Lot doesn't flee to Abraham. The scriptures tell us that Abraham went up on the mountain and looked in the morning and he saw the smoke arising from Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot knew right where he lived. Instead, he flees to the mountain to a cave. And there in that cave, he gives birth with his daughters in a drunken stupor to the Moabites and the Ammonites, the bitterest enemies of God's people, of which the Arab people are direct descents, still in bitter conflict with God's people. So the legacy, the heritage of this godly man is to give birth to bitterness and anger and rage. What are you giving birth to? What is your legacy? Now, I want you to look with me at what Jesus said about this. In the book of Luke, in the 17th chapter, I'm going to read several verses. Follow with me. We'll begin in verse 21. This is Luke 17, verse 21. The last part of that 21st verse the kingdom of God is among you or within you. Verse 22, Then he said to his disciples, The time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. Men will tell you, There he is or here he is. Do not go running off after them, for the Son of Man in his day will be like lightning which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. There is no secret rapture. The secret rapture was never heard of in the body of Christ until into the 1800s. It's a teaching that says there will be some taken and some will be left behind. And those left behind will now have a second chance. That's not a teaching of the Scripture. It's another way that people who believe in eternal security are able to fool God's people into believing that they don't have to get serious about their relationship with God because if they miss it the first time, they can catch it the second time. Jesus, in his own words, says, 
for the Son of Man in His day will be like the lightning which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. Everybody's going to see Jesus when He comes. But first He must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. In other words, people at the last day will be doing the same thing Lot was doing, sitting at the city gate of Sodom and Gomorrah, seeing what new deal they can craft for themselves and for their advantage. The day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the roof of his house with his goods inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Now, historically, we have always recognized that this is representing, at this point in the Scripture, a warning that when the Roman armies began to gather around Jerusalem, they should simply flee for their lives. But it's much more than that. He's saying, when you see the end of time, don't think you can preserve your stuff. You're not going to take your stuff to heaven. And the question is, how can I use my stuff to build the body of Jesus Christ? Verse 32. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. And right there we have Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, telling us why Lot's wife was turned into a pillar of salt. Because she thought she could preserve her life. She thought she could somehow have all of her inlaid couches and all of her other stuff. She could somehow have her circle of friends. She could somehow have her family. She could have all this stuff and still escape the fire of Sodom and Gomorrah. And Jesus is saying, remember Lot's wife. If you want to save your life, you have to lose your life. Are you totally sanctified by the Lord Jesus Christ today? When do you have that on your calendar? I can't tell you how I've struggled over this issue in my own life. The Lord's saying, lay aside the radio, lay aside the television, lay aside all of these secular things, lay aside the historical novels, which I love. Oh, and I especially love to read historical novels about biblical characters. They give me such rich insight. Isn't it an oxymoron to have a novel about the Scripture, which is truth? 
What's it going to take for you to step over that line and stop thinking of yourself as an independent operator? Yes, Lord. When are you going to become a part of the body of Jesus Christ and be accountable to the body? When are you going to jump in and say, how can I use my time and my talents and my gifts to build up that thing which Jesus has said he will use to bring all things under his feet, the church? When will you begin to see the church as the heart of Jesus Christ and sacrifice? Jesus, I surrender all to Him, I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in His presence day.
Thank you so much for joining us. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Come join us at nationalprayerchapel.com or our sister website, revivalnow.church. God bless you. We love you. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, with great joy. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling 